<laughs> so uh, last week, I, I know I said that we were going to go into 2 Corinthians. I think we're going to hold off for a little bit. Uh, we have reached where in the schedule we were supposed to have, June was supposed to be kind of just open, uh, take a break from our trip through Scripture. And I, I think it's, it's, a good t- it's good timing for that. Uh, so we're going to go, LCF is going to take their open month and do just kind of topical stuff. And um, so we're going to do that as well. And uh, so if you have, if you've got something that's on the, you know, that you, you'd like to hear more about uh, this, this month, um, let me know. And we are tonight going to talk about something that's definitely related to where we've been, but we're going to branch off from a study, a proper study of uh, 1 Corinthians. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and just talk uh, more about that. That seems to be where God has us this year. And then last week, when Dan Hamill came and spoke, it seemed to really, a lot of things clicked into place uh, for us. And so I thought it was good for us to just stop and hang out and uh, ponder spiritual gifts for a little bit. um, And maybe even make this kind of a summer of of seeking the spiritual gifts together. Um, But we'll get back to 2 Corinthians. And uh, we've got the rest of the year to finish Paul's letters, so we're in no rush. And uh, certainly don't want to rush what the, what the Spirit would be doing in our body right now. So let's pray and then uh, we'll dive in. Father, thank you that you are a generous giver of gifts. And Lord, you are a, a creative giver of gifts. Lord, you're the best gift giver that there is. And I thank you that you have poured out the gifts on this church. The gifts of your Holy Spirit. I pray that in this season, Lord, you'd open our eyes to the truth of your word surrounding spiritual gifts. Um, and along with that, Lord, that you, open, you would open our eyes to the way in which you have gifted uh, every individual member of this body. Lord, that we could see together the good thing that you've done in, in each person's life here. The good gift and gifts that you have given uh, to each person here. And that we could rejoice with it. We could receive those gifts from each other's lives and uh, be built up uh, so that you would be glorified in this church. Uh, Lord, do a new thing. Take us deeper than we've gone before, Lord, in moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we thank you for that in advance and expect, Lord, and eagerly await. you showing up and teaching us uh, new things, knitting our hearts together in deeper ways. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I, we're, we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians solely, but obviously if you're going to talk about spiritual gifts, you have to consult 1 Corinthians. It's one of the major places in the New Testament that discusses spiritual gifts. Um, I just want to try and get pretty practical. I, I have a tendency to go big picture, to go theological. I really want to try and go uh, practical tonight. Um, I want to help us take these truths that have been spoken over us as a body and challenges that have been issued to us as a body, and I want to help us kind of get some traction toward, toward those goals. And so uh, I do want to talk about just what are the spiritual gifts as they uh, appear in the New Testament? But I, I more want to end up with how do we discover our spiritual gifts? Uh, 
How do we develop those spiritual gifts? And how do we deepen our life as a, as a body in moving in the spiritual gifts, walking in the spiritual gifts? Um, so I don't want to rehash the, the crucial thrust of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, Dan Hamill last week gave a great overview of that. Uh, and also when we went through it, I really underlined the importance of chapter 13 in the midst of all that. That everything has to be done in love. That has to be the aim and the motive and the ground of all the function, uh, functioning the gifts in the body. Otherwise, they're useless. They're just, they're just another thing that we're using to uh, divide ourselves amongst ourselves. Right? They're just another way to form camps. Well, we got the prophecy people over here, and we got the word, the, the knowledge people over here, and we got the wisdom people over here. And we, we just end up uh, dividing rather than being built up and edified. Paul says that when, when love is at the heart of it, gifts are understood to be just that, gifts to be given, to be poured out, and to be received with humility so that the body could grow. Um, so I want to turn to Ephesians, which is another key place. Paul talks about this idea. And actually a book that we're, we're not going to be studying in this trip through Paul's letters. We, we spent a, several weeks in Ephesians. I think it was in the middle of COVID. I remember preaching on Ephesians on Zoom. Uh, so maybe that re- deserves a redo at the end of all this. But Ephesians chapter 4. Um, starting in verse 7. Grace, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says that we are one. There's one baptism. There's one faith. There's one spirit. But grace is given to each one of us. No one person here can contain the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has been given to each and divided out into the members of the body according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. When Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, we read in Acts, it says he poured out, he received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he poured it out on the church. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he had also descended into the lower regions, to the earth, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. There's a lot to be said here. We're just going to keep going. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's exactly what he was talking about in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, that these things are for building. They're for doing. Therefore, acting. Uh, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So there are gifts given to the body to mature the body, to grow the body, to build the body up, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, and in many ways I think that means operating in the gifts. Many of the gifts are speaking gifts. 
the gifts really operate through our, our speaking and interacting with one another. It's one of the primary ways they operate. Speaking the truth in love, right? It's about love. It's the most excellent way. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We're all members. We all matter. Even though if we don't think we matter, we still do. And even if we think someone else doesn't matter, they still do, and we need to submit to them. When each part is working properly. Okay, so I want to, I want to help us really wrap our minds around what does it mean for me to work properly? How can each, I want, every person in this room, every person who's not in this room, who's going to be listening to this later, to have a, a clear understanding of what it means to be working properly. Because when it says when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And again, come back to it time and time again, in love. Each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here in Ephesians, it's a different kind of list of spiritual gifts. This is a list of, you could say, offices that are given to the church. It's a bit different than a list of functions like we see in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. But we have to understand that, that th- these are also spiritual gifts. And so there are gifts of offices that God wants to, that God has given to us. And we need to be open to that. A lot of times, what is my spiritual gift? And it's more of a, a gift profile, kind of like a personality profile. But another way of asking that is, who am I to this body? Who am I to this body? How has Jesus given me to this body? Not what is my little mix and what, can I, what things can I sprinkle in here and there, but who am I to this body? Am I a pastor? Am I a teacher? Am I a prophet? Right? There are offices that God calls us to as well. Um, I made a Venn diagram to help me sort this out in myself. And one circle is office, and one circle is gift, and they're overlapping. There are offices that are not gifts, offices in the church. Those are the authoritative offices in the church. They're not gifts. They are mature positions of leadership given or, or uh, ordained men who have proven the ability to wield authority in a Christ-like way in their families, Right? There's the list of qualifications for elders. Those are qualified positions. They are not gifted offices. Okay? Pastor, on the other hand, is a gifted office. Now, obviously, the character qualifications are, are much the same. But someone can be can exercise the office of elder or the office of deacon without being a gifted officer. Right? A deacon is someone who is... Fa- I mean, you can read those... So anyway, this is what we're talking about. When we talk about a gifted office, we're not talking about a position of authority that's earned through character and self-sacrifice. Uh, we're talking about an office that can only truly be exercised if there's a gifting there. Okay? Um, and so in, in Ephesians, when he talks about he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
and the shepherds and teachers. He's talking about gifted offices that have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. One of the, one of the functions of these offices is also to help people understand and discover how the Spirit has gifted each individual member. I think that's one of the, one of the uh, offices of, or one of the responsibilities of a, of a pastor would be to help organize a group of people and help them see who they are. Um, all right, so I kind of got ahead of myself. But there are three, and th- you should write this down because this is important. One of my challenges is going to be to know what the Scripture says about spiritual gifts and to make that the primary source of information about spiritual gifts. Three primary places in Scripture. Ephesians 4, the passage we just read, verse 7 through 16, or you could start whenever you want, however early you want. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, particularly verses 8 through 10 and verse 28 as well. In Romans chapter 12, particularly verses 6 through 8. There's another uh, passage in 1 Peter. Um, I could give you that. I didn't write it down. But there's another passage in 1 Peter where it talks about, he doesn't necessarily list a, a big list of gifts, but he says, hey, use your gifts. <laughs> you got them? Use them. If you have it, it's for using. Uh, and that's usually what the... the um, primary thrust of any teaching on spiritual gifts in scripture is aimed at it's these things are here use them make use of them often and over and over and as much as you can okay so in first corinthians 12 okay we talk about ephesians 4 those are um the some people call them the equipping ministries the five-fold ministry, there's lots of different names for it. But I would just say that those are the gifted offices that God gives to the church. Gifted offices. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it talks a lot about functional gifts. Just gifts that where individual members can operate in a particular function. And in operating that function, as gifted by the Holy Spirit... That thing builds up the body, all right? And so in 1 Corinthians, it talks about words of wisdom, and I'm going to discuss these in in a second. The word of knowledge, faith, healing, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. It also mentions apostles and teachers. Okay, so one of the things you need to realize is that these overlap some. They're not discrete lists. You'll find apostleship in 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll also find it in Ephesians 4. You'll find prophecy in a couple of the lists, but you'll also find prophets. That's the difference between an office of a prophet and the function of prophecy, the activity of prophecy. Those are, those are different things. I'll explain that in a second. Apostles, teachers, uh, miracles or just mighty works is one of them in, in 1 Corinthians 12. And then helps or service, or assistance, and then leadership, or administrations. Uh, And then in Romans 12, it talks about prophecy, it talks about uh, serving, talks about teaching, uh, exhorting, giving, 
leading and showing mercy. Okay, so this is kind of just the raw data on what, what spiritual gifts are actually mentioned in the New Testament. We know, we've, we've been over time and time again, what the gifts are for, they're for using. All right, but I want to talk, what are they? How do we discover which gifts are ours? And how do we develop those gifts? Um, so let me first just go through, and I'm going to lean heavily on a, uh, a book called uh, Conformed to His Image by a guy named Kenneth Boa. And it's like a, it's kind of a textbook type book. But he has a great chapter on the gifts that I think is helpful because he lists the gifts and kind of describes them briefly. Uh, but he doesn't, he kind of takes that gift as it appears in all the, diff- all the lists and kind of ties it under one heading. So you can kind of see how they overlap a little bit. So the first one would be uh, prophecy. And this is actually listed in all of them, right? If you count both prophet and prophecy, it's mentioned all over the place. So it's important, right? Prophecy, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, Earnestly desire the gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. There's something unique about prophecy that, that really builds up the body. Um, what is prophecy? It's, it is the, basically the ability to receive and then declare a message from God. Um, a lot of times we get sort of obsessed with the future-telling aspect of prophecy, which is, which is an aspect of Old Testament prophecy pretty often. But in the New Testament, the, what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and, and in other places is not so much that. It's, 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 it's just delivering the truth of God to a body of believers Here's what the, the word of God says, and I'm proclaiming it to you. To a body of believers or to an individual, all right? People will get up, declare, this is a message from the Lord. It can evolve for telling future events, but that's not really the, uh, the only or even the primary function of prophecy, to foretell future events. Um. It's often contrasted with forth-telling. Telling for, this, is, this is what God is. This is what he's saying for us right now. Uh, scripture says, One who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That's in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. That kind of brings it down to a more manageable level when you think of it in those terms. Oh, speaking to people, delivering messages of God for exhortation, edification, and and consolation. Um, One thing to note is that when when we're discussing prophecy, a, a prophetic word will never trump the prophetic truth of Scripture. Right? If there is a prophecy that's given that runs counter to something in the word of God, we, that's one of the ways we test everything and hold on to the good. Scripture says to don't despise prophecy, but test it. One of the primary ways we test it is, does it 
resonate with the general truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, right? If someone is saying, oh, the Lord says that you need to, you know, divorce your wife and go marry that other woman, right? We can say that that's not a word from the Lord, right? Because it runs counter to something that we see in scripture. If there's ever a prophecy given that is, you know, that doesn't just resonate with holiness, righteousness, faithfulness, you know, it seems doesn't really pass the smell test. It's like, that's probably not, you know, it's probably not a word from the Lord. Um, I don't think God is suddenly in the, interested in undoing all the truth that he invested in, into his word. Um, so prophecy, but also prophets. This is one of those things where there's a function, but also an office. Um, I think that's also true with teaching. There's teaching and then there's the teacher, a teacher. Um, there's also, I think, times gift, gifts of people who are more gifted at doing evangelism. But there is the office of evangelist. And the difference, I think, is that the, the office is there to equip and resource the function. And so the, fun, so, so the prophet would be there to resource and equip and release prophecy in the body. He may himself have a word to share. But every time I've been around someone who is a prophet, prophecy in general seems to be stirred up. Every time I've been around someone who is an evangelist, the office of evangelist, a gifted evangelist, the equipping minister of evangelist, people suddenly experience a newfound freedom and boldness in their own evangelism. Every Christian is called to be a part of evangelism, right? So God has given evangelists not to be the primary soul winners, but to be the primary equippers of evangelism and senders out of the body, right? If you've ever been around someone who just, they are an evangelist, you start to find yourself joining in with, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to share the gospel, you know. And they, there's often a teaching element to the, the office of evangelist where someone can come and train you, help you uh, go out and evangelize. Does that make sense? Um, so the, the office is there. Ephesians tells us to be equippers for the ministries. And so prophet or, or moving in prophecy we're all called. I mean, Paul says everybody should desire to prophesy. Um, not everybody is holds the office of prophet. Does that make sense? All right. Same thing with service, right? We are called to be servants, right? That is a universal call on every Christian's life. So who is someone who is gifted with service? Uh, these are people who are, are uniquely tuned in to need and uniquely able to point people and direct the servant-hearted people of God toward meeting that need, right? And so the, the, someone who is gifted in serving isn't the one who's doing all the serving. We all are called to serve one another, right? But someone with the gift of service is placed in a body, given to a body to help the, the general service in that body 
be mature and be excellent. Does that make sense? Um, teaching. So service basically is the, the ability to identify and care for the physical needs of people through a variety of means. Uh, it's the same, actually the same word that's used for deacon, same root of the word, you know. So the office of deacon very often is someone who is gifted in serving, who is equipping the body to engage in service. You see how that works? There's just different levels, but that's, that's the gift, service. All right, prophecy, service, teaching. Teaching is the ability to explain truth clearly, to explain scripture. Um, we are all called to get to a, you know, a certain place of, of teaching ability, right? If you are discipling someone, you are teaching them. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe, Everybody's called to teach, but a teacher is the one who equips you to be able to teach, who teaches you and equips the saints for the work of ministry. So a gifted teacher has the capacity to interpret Scripture accurately, to, to explain it in a way that, that the body can be built up in the hearing of the teaching. The body can be equipped to then go and make disciples. Um, and again, it's not necessarily a, a gifted orator per se. It's not a particularly scholarly person, right? We 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 attach those labels to the gift of teaching. That's not necessarily what the gift of teaching the body of Christ requires. Giving. Uh, giving, this is from Romans. Oh, I should be giving these. Uh, so prophecy appears in all the lists. Service is in Romans 12. Teaching is in all three. Uh, exhortation is the next one, sorry. Exhortation, that's, that's in Romans 12, 8. And this gift is a gift of being able to speak to someone in a way that motivates them toward living out the truth that they know. It's, a, it's an action-oriented, all right, you, you're stuck in a place. Someone who, who is with the gift of exhortation can come and say something to you that helps motivate you to do what you know you're called to do. And an exhortation can be a challenge, can be a... Uh, a, a way of just getting unstuck. Um, exhortation is often like a, it's not necessarily the content of the exhortation, but maybe it comes at just the right time. You know, that is exactly what I needed to hear. You know, I was trying to figure out what I should do. I was trying to figure out how I could do it. And thank you for saying that in that way at that time. Right? Exhortation. Um. Giving, this is one that's in Romans 12. Giving is uh, just that. It's just giving resources, giving money, giving time, giving labor, just giving. Now, we're all called to be givers, right? I mean, 
in Second Corinthians, well, both First and Second Corinthians, Paul is encouraging them to participate in generous giving for the needs of the, the saints, the, the universal church. And so someone with the gift of giving isn't someone who has a bunch of money, uh, but someone who can, whose generosity, I think, is, is you know, it, the, that generosity helps out, but it also releases and inspires generosity in the body. Um, Paul mentioned the church in Macedonia, I believe. He says, man, I went there and they were just so ready to give. And they were, they didn't have as much as you all, Corinthians. Look at them and, and see how, I mean, Paul was like deeply touched by the generosity of that church. And he said, they had a gift. They had the gift of giving. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had the gift of giving. And that those resources were, were so precious to Paul. And he says, if you guys could just touch on that kind of generosity. Oh man, what could God do through the wealth here in Corinth, right? So the gift of giving, I actually think is not always, and maybe it's more rarely than, than we think, the wealthy person who is very generous and is able to resource a lot. The gift of giving is a, a zealous generosity and a zealous relinquishing of just an open-handedness in a way that, that really cultivates that kind of open-handedness that we should all have, you know, that no, like in the church, the early church said that, that nobody said that his possessions were his own. You know, that spirit of, of community, that's someone with the gift of giving really, really encourages that in the church. And again, these can overlap. Like I would say probably someone with the gift of service who's really tuned into needs is probably also has some, some gifts of giving too, right? Because if they're sensitive to the need, surely they are also willing to help meet the need in, in whatever way they can. Okay, leadership. This is in Romans 12. Leading, just leading. And this is a gift, by the way. This is a gift not a, not so this is one of the gifts that's not necessarily an office, right? Someone can have a gift of leading, which is just someone who's able to keep people moving in the right direction, provide direction, right? People, not, not everyone is a natural leader, right? Different dynamics exist in different groups. And sometimes you're with a group of people and there's no, no leader. And it's just this constant like, well, what do you want? I don't know what do you want to do. I don't know what do you want to do. I don't care. I don't, want to voice, I don't want to voice an opinion. Well, I don't have an opinion. I don't have a strong opinion. And it's just this constant. And then it's a real gift for a leader to go into that group of people and say, well, all right, let's make a decision. Everybody cool with this? Let's go. You know, that's a gift. And there's a lot of people that need that. You know? uh, but leadership in the body is just the ability to discern direction. God's purpose for a group and help keep, help keep people moving in a direction. You know, that's part of, I think, that's, that's one of the aspects of, of a, a pastoral gift. It's not only a pastoral gift, but, you know, when you think of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he provides for me, he leads me, 
beside the still waters. A, a, a shepherd, you know, someone who's lead. Sheep need to be led. It's not to call, you know, people sheep, but they kind of are. You know, and you, you've been in a group where there's like, there's no leader here. You've been in certain mixes of people or at certain events. You're like, there's nobody leading at the moment. It can be a real gift uh, to be given to a body as a leader, as a motivator, a director, a organizer, a collaborator. And it's not manipulation, right? It's, it's just gracious direction. Right? And these people exist in, in the body. All right, mercy. Mercy, there's another one in Romans 12. Mercy is, is, a, is a soft-hearted, tender response to a situation that doesn't really deserve it. All right, mercy, the, the popular way of, of defining mercy is not getting what you deserve. Thank goodness for this gift. <laughs> right? When you have a high level of zeal, a high level of passion, a high drive to pursue holiness, you can become pretty tightly wound. Right? And you can get really down on yourself. You can get really down on one another. Right? This bearing with one another in love business is, is hard. And when you see something so clearly in someone's life and it's like, ah, oh, they just don't get it and they deserve this and they deserve this and they don't deserve this. And we need the gift of mercy in the body because mercy triumphs over judgment. God always puts forward a, a merciful hand to us. Right? He is rich in love. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He delights. What is, do justice Love mercy. Remember when we talked about Micah. Do justice. God does justice. Because he is just. But he loves mercy. Because that's his character. Right? And it is not his ultimate desire to enact justice. Right? He would much rather be merciful. Right? And, and the, the, the sacrifice of his son Jesus shows how much he desires to extend mercy to people who don't deserve it. I so want to offer you mercy that I will kill my son so that I can extend, continue to extend mercy and forgiveness to you who don't deserve it. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a spiritual gift that is so needed in the church, isn't it? I need this gift. I need someone who can look at me and know that I'm failing. They know that I know that I'm failing and just reach out with the hands of of Christ into my life and and pull me, not leave me there, but pull me out with with that tender mercy of the Lord. So someone who can deeply empathize, engage, in compassionate acts, right? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Full of compassion is, is Yahweh. Someone who embodies 
Yahweh's compassion. And who also, again, causes that to spring forth from, from all of our lives. Right? A merciful person in a group, someone who you know is just full of mercy, the gift of mercy, really breaks you in a lot of ways and causes you to be more merciful. Right? And that's why the gift of mercy is so needed. Both the merciful acts, but also that person who is a merciful person in our midst. When you think of them, oh, how could I, you know, how could I go and enact judgment on my brother when this person is watching me? <laughs> we need these gifts to keep, to keep us in check. Mercy is also someone, I think, who has a deep compassion for those who are often overlooked or who aren't really vocal about their deep distress or need. Someone who can really see that and go and find. You have a nose not for the, you know, not for the people who are well, but for the people who are sick. And a real compassion on those people, the truly lost. I love each of these gifts because it just reminds me of, a, of an entire aspect of God, right? I mean, these are, after all, the fullness of Christ. These are gifts because these are all embodied by Christ, right? And so each one of these, understanding the gift, helps you understand the giver in whose image we're made. Wisdom. Now, this gets back to uh, the word of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. You know, you could say, you know, wisdom is just the ability to skillfully live. And we talked a lot about what wisdom is on a large scale when we were talking about the wisdom literature. Um, but when Paul mentions that gift to the Corinthian church, he, you know, wisdom takes on a bit of a different connotation, doesn't it? Because after you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, you're kind of alert to the way Paul is talking about wisdom. There are wise people going around with wise words to speak. And then there's the wisdom of God, which is, in Paul's definition, the foolishness of the cross. So someone with the gift of wisdom, I think, in the way that Paul is using it here in 1 Corinthians, isn't just a generally wise person, although they are, they are probably that. But a, but a word of wisdom is a way to bring the cross of Christ and the upside-down way of God to bear on a situation. That's a word of wisdom in, in the Corinthian context. Right? How are we going to do, how are we going to address this problem? How are we going to love this person? Well, here's what, here's the reality of the cross. How do we apply the reality and the wisdom and the foolishness of the cross to the way that we are dealing with the situation? Right? And so you speak a word of wisdom, but it's that wisdom of the cross. It's that, that upside-down wisdom that the world doesn't really understand. But those who are spiritual, as Paul says, they understand it. It's a deep and hidden wisdom. And so the word of wisdom, I believe, is to reveal the way of the cross, to speak the way of the cross into situations. Don't we need that as a church? There are so many temptations to fix problems in a worldly way. We need people to come and speak the wisdom 
or the foolishness, as it seems to our worldly minds, of the cross into situations. You can see how powerful of a gift that is. How do we, have we really died? Have we really died for this person? No, we've just been trying to fix them. Let's, let's try dying. Word of wisdom, right? Word of knowledge. Again, there were people who prided themselves on their level of knowledge. I don't think Paul's saying God's going to gift you to, to suddenly, you know, go be able to speak all these different, you know, knowledge things that'll puff you up, right? He's not talking about the knowledge that puffs up, equipping people with just facts that they can go and puff themselves up on. It's a word of knowledge, true knowledge, knowing God. What does knowledge even mean? A word of knowledge says, do you really know what you're talking about? Because here's who I know God is, and I can speak true knowledge into a situation. Right? Not facts, not puffed up knowledge, but real knowledge. A word of knowledge. Uh, there's also, the, I think, the supernatural revelation side of this, where you know something only by the revelation of God. You know something about a situation or a person that only God could have revealed to you. Uh, okay, faith. Faith. Now, we're all called, I mean, faith is the essence of walking with God, right? Faith is one of the foundational principles of being a disciple of, of Christ. You receive him by faith. You follow him by faith. So what is this gift of faith? Well, I believe the gift of faith is the ability to say, to, to see things, to have a vision of life that accords with the heavenly reality. And so someone with the gift of faith can come and look at what looks like death, what looks like failure, what looks like people being shipwrecked and beaten and run out of town over and over again and say, you know what this actually is? Success. This is progress. This is the growth of the kingdom. Keep doing it. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't operate by things, by things that are seen, but by things that are unseen. Faith understands the heavenly realities and can say, don't stop. Don't be weary in well-doing. Keep going because what we're doing is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Don't you see it? Don't you see the heavenly Jerusalem? Keep at it. Stay on the narrow road. I think that's the gift of faith. I don't think it's the gift of if we pray hard enough, that whole mountain, yeah. I mean, Scripture says the mountain will be moved. But God didn't send out his disciples to go move mountains. He sent them out to go make disciples. The problem is that basically the same effort is required to make disciples that is to move mountains. And so we do need that faith that moves mountains. Except we're not trying to move mountains. We're trying to build the kingdom. Speak the truth. Build the kingdom of God into people's lives. Teach them what he said. 
go out and storm the gates of hell. We need faith. We need faith. Faith is also faithfulness. We need faithfulness. We need loyalty. We need perseverance. And we need vision. All of those things are wrapped up in the word faith. The vision, the execution, it's all faith. The persistence. People with the gift of faith can see it and call everyone to keep going because this is the truth. This is the calling. And this is the heavenly reality. Healing. People that lay hands and, and bring the new creation reality to bear on the old creation curse. To say this is not, this is not the ultimate reality. We have died and we will be raised and we want to speak healing to situations. We want to speak healing to bodies, to minds, to hearts. Gift of healing is the ability to serve as a human instrument through whom God can cure illnesses and restore health. It's beautiful. I mean, Jesus, that was one of his primary spiritual gifts that he would exercise and just heal. And it was because he was the new creation, <laughs> just walking around. And everywhere he touched, it was life, 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 reversing the curse. Uh, miracles is close to healing, but it's the ability to serve as an instrument through whom God accomplishes acts that manifest supernatural power. Mighty works. Right? The, 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 the disciples... Did miracles, or the apostles said that many signs and wonders were done. And everybody saw it and went, whoa, God's here. This is a gift that God pours out on his church. Unfortunately, this is like one of the, you know, all these things have turned into movements in the history of the church, right? The faith movement, the signs and wonders movement, the healing movement. And it's usually surrounds someone who has a gift but who then lets the flesh creep in and lets his wickedness or her wickedness creep in and take that gift, just like the, the guy in, uh, well, several people in Acts that, that go around, and they, they, they basically want the power of the Holy Spirit for human ends, right? To profit or to, uh, to, to manipulate situations. And so these gifts are real, but then people are fallen and people are wicked. So gifts can be operating in someone who is uh, not necessarily... Uh, bringing glory to God through that gift. It becomes distorted. Uh, discernment or distinguishing of spirits. And this is just to, to be able to say, to, to discern between truth and error, between real and fake. And we need this because we're masters of deception. Right? And, there, and we can deceive ourselves, we can deceive one another. For long periods of time. And someone who can discern spirits can say, this is true, this is not true. You say this, you're not telling the truth. Right? Um, tongues. Man, all of these, really, we need to spend a lot of time on. I, I thought I could give a, a brief overview, but these are all just a sermon in themselves. Tongues. There are, you know... There's lots of different uh, debate around tongues. Uh, is it languages? Is it actual languages? Is it a 
heavenly language? And I think that the answer is yes um, to both of those. Because in Acts, we hear they heard it in their own language, right? And in Romans, we have groanings too deep for words. And we have he who speaks in a tongue utters mysteries to God. Right? I don't, and, and I think that there's both. I believe that it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a language that you supernaturally speak or some unknown tongue, some heavenly language. Does that really matter? I mean, the difference, I mean, God has come and what he is doing through the movement of your lips and your tongue surpasses your mother language, the, the language that you have the human capacity to speak. And I think that's the, that's the point, that this communication that's happening is happening on a level that's bypassing my mind's ability to use language. Whether that's Klingon or, you know, whatever the Pentecostals say. It doesn't matter, right? We're, we are communicating, we're bypassing human language and using some other language, bypassing known language and, and using some other language to communicate spiritual mysteries and to operate on a spiritual level. And then there's interpretation of tongues. And I believe if God can, <laughs> if God's able to cause you to speak in a language that you don't know, and then interpret that same actual language that you don't know, can't he do the same thing for some heavenly language? I mean, it doesn't seem like that big of a difference. Anyway, um, there's a whole debate. You can, you can go read about it to your heart's content. I feel like it's fairly simple in Scripture, and it's not, it's not a huge deal. One, two, three, four, five more. I'll just, I'll just buzz through these. Apostleship. I'm not going to say much about that. That's an office of the church. There are apostles in the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Are there apostles now? I don't know. But I do know that there were apostles then, and I do know exactly what they said. That's enough for me. Um, and I do know that any other apostle is not going to say anything different than these apostles, right? If, if this is the foundation of the church, then someone who else is, is an apostle is just going to be reiterating the foundation. And so, I don't know. Maybe the people who call themselves apostles are apostles. If they're building a different foundation, they're not apostles. This is the foundation. It's already been laid. And no other foundation can be laid. So if someone's here just laying this foundation, and yeah, good. If you want to call yourself an apostle, great. Um, yeah, there's a whole debate about that too. What is an actual apostle? What, what defines it? I don't, I don't know. I do know that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And I do know that we have plenty of truth to build our lives on uh, in their words. Helps. Helps is, I think, a very underlooked and very crucial gift in the body. I believe an entire member, entire person of the Trinity is primarily given to this gift. That is the Holy Spirit, the helper, the, the counselor, the, the paraclete, the one that the Father says it 
the Son does it and the Spirit makes it real to every heart. You know, when the Spirit, Jesus said greater things than these are you going to do because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to pour out the Helper. And I, the man, the human being, actually can't talk face-to-face to, to that many people. But the Holy Spirit can testify to my resurrection in every heart that chooses to believe. And I can be with them in a way that I could never be with that many people. Jesus could never, Jesus the man, the human being, could never have a personal relationship with billions of people. But Jesus can because of the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing thing. So the gift of helps can, can take something that is small and limited and make it, make it scale way out. Right? And we got just this little thing that we're doing. The gift of helps. You add the gift of helps to any other area of the church, and it just flourishes and enhances it and grows it. And no one ever really gives it the credit it deserves, just like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Administration. Uh, this is kind of like leadership or a mix of leadership and helps. It's just organized. I mean, people... Human beings need structure. Uh, we need organization. It was there from the beginning. God gave Adam the task to, to take dominion, to structure things. God himself was structuring and organizing things. There's land, there's water, there's male, there's female, and keeping things in their place. And administration does that. It helps things keep moving, helps people stay organized. Evangelism, I talked about that a little bit. That's the, just the de- proclamation of the good news. The evangelist is someone who can equip the saints to proclaim the good news. And then shepherding or pastoring. Um, the, three, I, the, the big three for me in the gift of a pastor are leadership, uh, lead, feed, and protect. That's what a shepherd does. Leads the sheep, feeds the sheep, protects the sheep. And there's a number of gifts that I think are involved in all three of those things. There's the gift of leadership, but also the gift of faith, you know, the gift of exhortation to motivate people. Um, but yeah, leading, feeding, and protecting, and, and caring for the people of God. Um, all right. Stick with me here. All right, two things I want, I want to buzz through real fast. Discover your gift. How do I discover my gift or gifts or mix of gifting? How do I do that? Uh, number one, ask God. Ask God. Ask God what? What are my gifts? Or ask God to give you particular gifts? Both. Ask God who he is, who you are, who he's created you to be. But also, as you get into the work of ministry, you could identify a gift. Man, the gift of exhortation would be really helpful here. Can you give me that gift? 
for this person. For this person I'm trying to motivate to walk in the truth. Ask God. The context of ministry or service is the, is the primary place of discovering gifting. Why? Because the gifts are for ministry and service. They're for giving. And so where do, you, where do you discover the gifts? In the context of ministry and in the context of giving. Because that's what they're for. They're not for you to go away and find yourself and come back and say, Guys, I'm a prophet. <laughs> they're for you to be in a body, to, to go about the business of discipleship, and in the context of working with someone, say, God, I just need a word from you. Could, let me say something. And then you say something to them, and, and then their life is touched. Right? So ask God. Remember the parable of the friend at midnight. Right? Someone's here. They need something. I don't have what they need. I'm going to go to my friend who has it, and I'm going to ask for what this person needs. That intersection is where you find and where you ask God for gifts. What do they need? I don't have it. Can you give it to me? That's a great way to discover your gifts. Another way is to study scripture. Take these lists. Pour over the lists. Meditate on them. Try and figure out. Think about areas in scripture where, like, go back into the Old Testament and say, are there some stories that illustrate this gift in the Old Testament? You know, is there like a particular character in the Old Testament that's merciful, that really exemplifies mercy? Or I'm going to study Elijah to really understand a prophet, right? I'm going to, I'm going to read the prophets to understand what prophecy really is. Seek to deepen a biblical understanding of what the gifts are and what the role is that they play in building up the body. Right? So ask God, study scripture, be active in fellowship with the body. Don't, don't recede from fellowship to try and find your place. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Be in the body and you'll discover your place. In fact, your gift may make a place for you. That's what Proverbs says. A man's gift will make a place for him. And so what do I mean by that? Be active in fellowship with the body. Devote yourself to the universal callings of all believers. Right? You know, maybe you don't know what you're uniquely gifted at yet, but you know that you should serve. You know that you should share the gospel. You know that you should uh, pray for one another. Devote yourself to those things. Service, care, humility, Self-sacrifice, remembering each other in prayer. This creates a really fertile seedbed of love, right? I'm, being, I'm following Jesus as he's transforming me into a loving person. And as I'm becoming more and more of a loving person, he's going to give unique expressions of love to me. And those are spiritual gifts. So that they can be given out of that context of love that I've already created in my life. That's the third thing. Uh, fourth is consult honest, mature friends. Or your discipler, home group leader, pastors. Right? People who are aware of these things. 
and who understand you and your maturities and your tendencies. The second one, or not, next one, <laughs> is actually, and I've got to give a disclaimer. You know the disclaimers to this. Hear it in, in, a, in a good way. Okay, hear it in the proper way. Listen to your desires. Now, you know all the disclaimers that need to be given there, right? We hammer that all the time. But I think one of the most freeing things that ever, anyone ever said to me when I was trying to discern whether I was a pastor or any of this, they said, do you really want to be a pastor? And I couldn't even say yes because I broke down crying. And I said, and I didn't realize, but it was like the deepest desire in me. And now this was, this was not when I was 14, you know. This was when I was at a fairly advanced stage of discipleship, trying to figure out kind of the next areas of ministry that I was going to step into. And uh, this was with someone that really knew me and was really mature. So, again, all the disclaimers there. But God will put a desire in you. He who aspires to the office of an overseer desires a good thing. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Desire absolutely plays a role in discovering and walking in your spiritual gifts. And I think we can be timid for good reasons, but... God does put desires in us. Does that make sense? Everybody understand all the disclaimers that that requires? Okay. I want to be a irresponsible pastor here. Go listen to yourselves. We can easily deceive ourselves, right? You know that. Our hearts are wicked, deceitful. But God can also uh, work through our desires and sometimes even places desires deep within us. And that's a good thing. Right. I want to be someone who can, I mean, I think it's great to desire the gift of healing. I really want the gift of healing. I mean, now don't turn your back on God if you don't end up with that gift. But that's, is that a bad desire? I don't think it is. I really I want the gift of healing. God, will you, will you, will you give me the gift of healing? Uh, and then finally... Try things out. <laughs> Try things out. In home group, in gatherings of believers, just, you know, in the context of prayer and prayer meeting, try, try things out. And then give feedback. Right? Was that, did that seem in line with where we are? Did, you know, is it, does that seem anointed? No, that was really... It was really kind of weird. It kind of brought everything to a screeching halt. Or, yeah, man, that was really that was really good. You should do more of that, right? Don't fear failure. Listen, hey, listen. Any spiritual gift that you will mature in, you will first be immature in. That's true in all of life. 
Like you are not instantly proficient at what you do. Even your particular skill set. Like we all used to be really bad at reading. And spelled the T-E-H, you know. That's how we used to write. But now we don't. But you can't just not write because you're scared of misspelling a basic word, right? So don't fear failure. You're going to do it poorly. You will do it poorly. You will do it immaturely. It will be awkward as you grow into it. We all understand that. And we'll walk with each other, okay? You'll do it many times poorly before you do it well. You just will. Uh, so that's how you discover it. How do I, what are my gifts? Try things out. Ask God. Um, and then quickly, developing your gifts, you just, you got to exercise it. If you know that, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that God's given me the gift of, of uh, helps. And in two weeks, I haven't helped anybody. You know, I'm, I'm either sitting on the gift or I don't have that gift. But if I do have it, I need to do it, right? And that's really the message that Paul brings to gifted member, gifted bodies of believers. You have it? Do it, right? So exercise it. Walk in it. Use it for one another. Um, there's three E's here, and this is from that book. Exercise, evaluation, right? get perspective, continue to get perspective, Offer perspective, walk in, walk in openness with each other, and education. Right? It's good to hear and learn from scripture and hear from experienced other people with that gift to develop that gift. And to, to learn about it and to walk more deeply in it. So education from the word, but also education in the discipleship sense from other people who have that gift. All right. So here's, here's, the, here's the questions you need to ask yourself. First of all, before you receive spiritual gifts, you have to receive the gift of the Spirit. And so that's the first question. Have you received the gift of the Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? However you want to phrase it. And I don't necessarily mean, have you had a special second time where someone laid their hands on you and then you spoke in tongues and that was the evidence. No, but there is a, there is a receiving of the Holy Spirit. And it very may well have happened when you first believed in Christ, when you repented and when you were baptized and when you came up out of the water and people prayed for you. Many times that's when you received the Holy Spirit as well. Sometimes you, there's, you start down the road, but then there's a, there's a time later down the road where you have an understanding of the, the Holy Spirit and you actually receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know how all that works. In Acts, it's not even really clear. Sometimes people receive the Spirit, speak in tongues, then they go and dunk them, you know, because that happened. I don't know the order of it, the order of operation. I don't think it's super important to get that down other than to say, have I received the Holy Spirit? Is, can you say, I once did not have the Holy Spirit, and now I have the Holy Spirit? 
the gift of the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit himself precedes any of the other gifts. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And if you don't ask the Father, ask for that. Right? That's when Jesus says, which of you, if you ask for a piece of bread, your Father's going to give you a rock? He says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And how many times does Jesus say, you have not because you ask not? Ask, knock, seek, and you will find. So that's the first application question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Number two, are you abiding in Jesus and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Have I received the Holy Spirit? Am I abiding in Jesus and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? We know what the fruit of the Spirit is. First one is love, joy, peace, patience. Are these things active and growing in my life? And if not, there may be a need for repentance. There are things that that sever us from the vine. And when we're severed from the vine, apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. So unless we're connected to the vine, we won't have the spirit in us. We won't be abiding with him. And the gifts will not be flowing into our lives and out of them. And then third, do I earnestly, actively desire the spiritual gifts so that I can build up the body? And go, go and read the parable of the talents. That's always a really convicting parable to me. Because a lot of times that guy that Jesus got, or the master got really angry with at the end, sometimes is how I live my life. Well, I didn't want anything bad to happen to this, so I just kind of did nothing with it. This treasure, this wealth that you gave me and the master says do anything but that when it comes to spiritual gifts to receiving them and moving in them God is less concerned with potential failure you know that's a lot of times what we're most concerned with God is not as concerned with that as he is with Fearful apathy. Fearful apathy and passivity. Well, I just don't know. So I'm not going to do anything. I think that God would rather us try and fail than to not try at all. And to not desire and put ourselves out there. Because then that would mean that we're actually engaging, right? We're, we're pressing into fellowship. We're relating, we're trying to, we're making an attempt. 
And when we make an attempt, we can see how we're going wrong, and we can see what's good, what's right. But when we're not making an attempt, we don't know whether we're, we're right or wrong because there's no, there's no way to judge. It's just sitting in a hole somewhere. The spirit is sitting in a hole somewhere, not doing anything. Right? And so that's going to be taken. He says, well, I don't want to sit in a hole. I'm going to take this, give it to someone else. Okay? So I, I really do believe that the, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, but also his gifts that he gives for the body, really are like those talents. And they're entrusted to the people of God, and we can use them and get return on them because that's what they're for. And when you put them out there, they bear fruit. And they build people up. But when they just sit, nothing happens. And so I would, I would hate for us to be a church where God has poured out, you know, I think we're like a ten-talent people. And for ten talents to be sitting in the ground. So what did you do with all of that rich teaching ability that I poured out and all of the mercy and all of the giving that I poured out into your hearts? And you were too busy or you were too scared or you, what happened to all of that? Well, I didn't, wasn't exactly sure. We hadn't, we hadn't gone through a sermon series on the spiritual gifts yet. I was waiting. He said we were going to talk about them some more, and we never really got around to it. No more excuses tonight. Amen? Amen. Is this good? Does this give you practical? Is it practical? All right. Emily's my practical uh, judge. If it's practical enough for her, it's practical practical enough for anyone. All right. All right, well, so we'll just close tonight then with with communion. And this is a celebration of the body, the celebration of the oneness and the diversity in the body, that Christ is one, but he allowed himself to be broken so that we could be made one with him. And as he breaks the bread for us, as we come up to the table, we each receive. I mean, this is like a reenactment of him pouring out himself, giving gifts to everyone, to each person. He gave some of his grace. As we come to the table, he's giving each one of us some of his grace, some of himself, so that we can live his life. Amen. This is a celebration. Communion is a celebration in many ways of the spiritual gifts of the, the, the parts of Jesus that are in each one of us, that he's put in each one of us. And we come and we affirm it. We say, yes, it's all you. It's all you, Jesus. We are one body in you. But we all have a part. And we all receive you individually so that we can be built up corporately. And it's a beautiful act that we do every week. And it's, it's applicable to every sermon. I love that we do it at the end of the sermon because it's so easy to take any sermon and go into communion because it's all... It's all here. It's all Jesus. Right? We want to partake of him. We want his life to be our life. Amen?